College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at one of 25 $1,000 savings plan deposits for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Look for the Save Now, Save Later giveaway under the scholarships page. Log on and register today. That's iowastudentloan.org. Getting that just right temperature or getting an energy efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy-efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com slash rebates. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports and powered, as you know, today by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my partner in crime on this football podcasting odyssey. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, what have you been up to this weekend, man? I didn't do a whole lot. You know, I kind of just rested up a little bit like I thought I would after the grind that's been the coaching search and all the stuff going on. So it was a pretty low-key weekend. It was nice to just kind of just have some downtime to myself. How about you, though? Celebrated my wife's birthday, and then I got hooked on this alien show, dude, that I started watching on Sunday that completely consumed me as I was doing housework. Had Bluetooth headphones in my ear, moseying around from room to room, like cleaning and stuff. And uh, I'm not much, I'm not a huge aliens guy, like, you know, tinfoil hat guy, but this show completely <laughs> snagged me on this show, uh, what was it called, Deep Deep Space. So anyway, that's what I've been up to, wasting time today. Well, I guess it wasn't really wasting time, I was being productive, but it got me hook, line, and sinker. So now I'm ready to shake that off and focus on football, the draft. We got a great guest coming on, we're going to talk about, introduce to the show here in just a minute. But first, we have to take care of a couple matters of business. First and foremost, you guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Why is that important? If you want to be able to get on our call-outs for Twitter mailbags, if you want to be involved in sometimes topical planning of the show, we'll send things out on Twitter. You can engage. It's a, it's a great way to stay up to date and on top of what's happening with the show in real time. So make sure you're listening right now, whether you're on iTunes, you're on Stitch, or wherever you're listening to the show, just hurry and pop out of that, open up Twitter, find at HuddleUpPod, click follow, then you're locked in. Also, while you're at it, take some time. Leave a creative review, rate the show, give us a five-star rating. We appreciate it. Very important and helpful in us being able to grow and reach new listeners, which just over the course of the last month and or five weeks, let's say, we've grown quite a bit. So it's been great moving over and joining forces with Overtime Media. That's been a great venture for us. Thanks to you guys, but you can help us grow even more by taking care of those small little things. And also, you know, one other thing you can do, obviously, share the show out on your respective social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, wherever, whatever social media channels you're using, Instagram can be a big help for the show as well. 
All right, so now we welcome in today's guest. He is a senior draft analyst for milehighhuddle.com. He is Eric Trickle. Eric, you're up there in Alaska. How are things going, my friend? It's going good. It's cold, snowy, <laughs> you know, which is actually nice because there for about a week, it was nothing but rain and warm weather. And it really throws off like the plant life here too. So hmm. it's great that it's actually snowy and cold now. Yeah, right on. Well, uh, it's definitely snowing and cold in the Rockies as well. In fact, I'm looking out my window at a blizzard as it stands right now. So probably more coming for those of you who might live to the east of the Rockies. There's some snow coming your way. But what we wanted to talk about today, and again, thanks for joining the show. Follow Eric on Twitter, at Eric Trickle, is we wanted to talk about kind of the way things are shaping up at the top of the draft as it relates to the quarterback push, right? It's a Gottman league. The NFL is all about, do you have a franchise quarterback or don't you? And as it stands, the Denver Broncos don't have that quintessential, you know, cornerstone roster piece. And there are a few other teams, obviously, in the NFL as well, who don't, several of whom are in front or could be in front of the Denver Broncos. And then there are even those that you talked about in a written piece. I'm going to, I'm going to mention here in just a second. They're behind the Broncos in the draft that can move up and make a play and uh, block the Broncos from perhaps getting the guy. We, uh, we all kind of have a pretty solid understanding they're in love with. So first thing I wanted to ask you about is the Arizona Cardinals. Now, Eric published a piece on Sunday for those of you who missed it. Basically it's called identifying Denver's biggest threats uh, in the draft as far as getting a quarterback, if you can go check it out on the website, milehighhuddle.com. But as it relates to the Cardinals, Eric, what have you heard there in terms of their intentions with the draft this year? Basically, all everything I've heard with the Cardinals has been a focus on getting a pass rusher. I'm not sure if that's meaning Nick Bosa from the edge or meaning Quinnen Williams from the interior. Both guys fit. They still have Chandler Jones, who's just put up over 10 sacks this last season. So my personal opinion is they should go Quentin Williams. But when it comes to the quarterback position, I asked flat out, is there any possibility of the Cardinals moving on from Josh Rosen, who they traded up last year? And my, the response I got was no. Their general manager, Steve Keim, he knows that he's got to turn this thing, the ship around if he wants to keep his job. And trading on from the guy he just traded up for last year, it's not going to do that. It's not going to turn the ship around. So they're sticking with Josh Rosen. They're going to be looking at some sort of pass rusher, either on the edge or the interior. Looks like uh, Vance Joseph's going uh, big game hunting there. I wonder if he takes a look at Shaquille Barrett or Shane Ray in free agency, because those uh, two players definitely feel a need for them. I would wonder, though, you know, if they're not moving on from Rosen, where those rumors materialize from and why there was smoke to come out from that. I know Kingsbury uh, likes his quarterback there, but I, I just I don't see Denver being a viable trade partner in that in that top of the half of the first round. Eric, do you, you know, Chips on the table, do you think the Broncos would move up that far, even if they had a trade partner in mind? I think they would. With Arizona, it's – my thing is with – because after the whole thing came out about Cliff Kingsbury back in – I think it was like the end of October, beginning of November, saying that Kyler Murray's the best quarterback in this class and he would do whatever it took to get, it, to get him. And then he got signed to the team to be the head coach who has the first overall pick. It spawned a lot of talk, as you were hinting at, of them moving on from Josh Rosen – and I don't see Denver being willing to jump up to number one. I think that if if Arizona comes at them and gives and is willing to take a little bit less, then I could see it. But I think that Denver's looking more at that number two, three, or number five spot to move up for. Right. 
Let's talk about number two. Obviously, the and this is a, a position in the draft that Zach and I have theorized and spitballed quite a bit on the podcast. I've written about it on the website, but the San Francisco 49ers are sitting there at number two, and it makes a lot of sense for multiple reasons, but not the least of which, Eric, is the fact that these two teams, the Broncos and Niners, have kind of formed a somewhat incestuous relationship over the last couple of years with between personnel guys going over, coaches now, players, trades. So it's an interesting, to me, kind of a lifeline if I'm John Elway and I'm looking at possibly wanting to leap up and get in front of some of these other desperate teams. Number two seems like a prime opportunity because of my background and history with Lynch and Shanahan there. But also, as you intimated in the article on Sunday – the other big key, Eric, is the Niners already have their franchise quarterback. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. Is A lot of NFL business is working relationships. That's why you see with a general manager of Team A has made multiple trades with Team B, and that general manager moves on to a new team. They may be more willing to work with that general manager because they have that working history there. It's a common thread throughout the NFL. You see these kind of things. It's like the Patriots and using the Rutgers as kind of a farm system there for a while. They were constantly going back to the Rutgers in the draft and taking those players. It's the familiarity familiarity there and taking the players that they're familiar with. They have the relationship with coaching staff. Right. And with the 49ers, too, I know in a previous pod that Benjamin Albright hinted about Emmanuel Sanders. Well, that's an enticing piece for San Francisco because they almost traded for him a year ago. Mm. Denver and San Francisco were in pretty serious negotiations, and just it didn't end up happening for one reason or another. So there's definitely, that's definitely probably the ideal spot, I think, that you would want Denver to try to move up for. They have that franchise quarterback, and they have two good backups there already in Bethard and Mullins that they like for their system. So they're not going to be in a rush to take quarterback, and they might be willing to offer Denver a little bit of a discount in terms of value that it would require to get up to number two. And, you know, even going back to 2017, the Broncos had that relationship with the Niners. They traded Capri Bibbs. So there's definitely a longstanding ties. And obviously the familiarity between Lynch and Elway plays a part. I happen to think, and I agree with you, Eric, that if there's any trade suitor in mind, trade destination for the Broncos, it is the 49ers with that pick because if anything, they'll cut – I think Denver a break just a little bit. They're not going to rob them blind just because they have that mutual respect for one another. And uh, the Niners are not going to move down because, like you said, they have that franchise quarterback, so they can take a little less. They can stock up on maybe Sanders or a couple second-round picks. So I tend to agree with that thought that if there's any trade partner, it is San Francisco. What do you think the cost would be, though, Eric? Let's just spitball this a little bit farther. If the Bronx, you know, as Zach just said, maybe a couple second rounders to get him over the hump, toss in Emmanuel Sanders, you know, provided his recovery from that Achilles is on on point. But what do you think realistically? I mean, we can talk about the NFL draft chart, but I don't want to bore all of our listeners. You tell us what you think it would cost John Elway. Maybe he doesn't get a sweetheart deal because John Lynch knows how you know, the power he holds at that number two pick right now in terms of all the other NFL teams that need a quarterback, they're going to be making calls to him as well. What do you think Elway will have to be willing to give up if, as we're theorizing here, that call is made to make a trade to get to number two? I think a starting point, and I'm going to start off with talking about trading up to number five, is right there, that's probably pushing the limit of having to give up a first round, a future first round pick. So I think if you want to get to two, you have to give up a future first. Maybe not maybe not 2020s, but maybe 
2021s. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to give up a future first, I think, to get there, as well as probably three second round picks and maybe two or three third round picks. That's that's too much for me for Drew Locke, in my opinion. You know, I could deal with a couple second rounders, but it's that it's that first, and then the collection of the second and third rounders to me is just too rich for my blood. Eric, who's the best quarterback in this class? Dwayne Haskins. Yep. I've been watching some tape on him the last few days, and he's definitely, from all the guys I've watched, the most polished passer. I A lot of the cut-ups that I've watched of him, though, he's not the most accurate deep passer, but... Wait, he's more of a runner, though, Chad. <laughs> right. <laughs> what the hell was that about? Um, but anyway, so you think Dwayne Haskins is the top guy. So this King's Ransom that it sounds like it's going to take for John Elway and the Broncos to get from 10 to even 2... Would Dwayne Haskins be worth that? And if he if he would be worth that, are there any other quarterbacks in this class, including Drew Locke, you think would be worth that kind of investment to get up? Because, again, we're talking about the NFL where you either have the guy or you don't. I mean, you look at the, the last few years of the draft, all the teams that have traded up and it's changed the destiny of these franchises from the Eagles to the Rams in 2016 to the Kansas City Chiefs, Houston Texans, Chicago Bears. So it's basically the price of doing business now. I mean, if you want to get your guy, you're going to have to quote-unquote, as we hear, you know, it's a term used derisively on, on talk radio, mortgage the future, right? Are any of these guys worth that? I don't think any of these quarterbacks are worth it. I, I'm a really big fan of Dwayne Haskins, but it's he's, he still has a lot of issues, and he grew from game to game this last year at Ohio State. But there still needs to be a lot of refinement there. I'm not as big fan of his deep ball. There's a lot of accuracy and placement issues there. Yeah. As I mean, not just on the deep ones, but the intermediate and the short throws as well. And I don't. But there's no question about his. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner intelligence that's what really stands out for him and that's what separates him from the next quarterback in this case drew Locke in this class but i don't think i don't think any quarterback in this class is worth giving up a future first round pick to move up for you know what i noticed though eric watching tape on haskins i mean it was just crossing route after crossing route and how talented do you really have to be to hit those crossers left and right on opposing big what is it big 10 uh defenses that you know don't know which way is up well crossing routes is actually one of the more not super difficult throws, but it's a little bit more difficult than people think because that's where you're throwing into the meat of the defense. Mm -hmm. That's often where you find your tighter windows with the linebackers and coverage yeah. and safeties playing coverage and everything like that. It's not doesn't require as much arm strength as that 15-yard out does. But those crossing routes, they're designed to help get guys open on offense, but that's where the meat of the defense is. So that's why there's quite a bit of risk thrown there as well. 
So if you're John Elway, we can talk about the Jets. I mean, the Jets are another at sitting at number three. They got their franchise quarterback last year, and Sam Darnold traded up. Uh, I might add to get him, but if if you are the Jets, I mean, the Raiders aren't a threat as you elucidate in the article. Tampa Bay is probably not a threat because Jameis Winston and Bruce Arians has a, a you know love affair brewing with old Jameis there. You get to the Giants at number six. I'm talking about teams that are in front of the Broncos. You get to number six and number seven. To me, Eric, is where it starts getting a little dicey because at number six sit the New York Giants, who apparently is in your written article, what you've been told from sources around the league, the Giants are going to do whatever it takes to get Dwayne Haskins. And then the Jaguars, it sounds like their approach in the draft is going to be very dependent on whether or not they're able to land Nick Foles. So in this case, I mean, it sounds like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so if I'm if I'm wrong on this, feel free to correct me. But it sounds like what you're saying is, if you were calling the shots in Denver, you're passing on this this you know frenzy to move up and get one of these quarterbacks in the top three, because that's probably what's going to take to move up into the top three to get one of these top two guys and just you know roll the dice on what rolls around in 2020. But do you think John Elway's thinking that? Um, I'm not really saying that you don't roll the dice. My thinking is, is that if if the Jaguars do get uh, Nick Foles in free agency and the Giants do land Dwayne Haskins, who every conversation I've had has been their main target, Pat Shermer absolutely loves him. He fits that offense to a T, is I don't see the need to need to move up for Drew Locke. I mean, you do have to compete with a couple other teams behind Denver that may want to move up. But I think that if the Jaguars get Nick Foles, they're not a threat. There's only one threat before Denver that's going to take a quarterback. So I think you can get by with moving up to, say, number five with Tampa Bay, who they'd be willing to move back. They can use more picks. And number five is a little bit hot for a offensive tackle in this class, which they really need. So I'd just kind of be waiting and seeing it. And if they don't get Nick Foles the Jaguars, then I'm doing whatever it takes to get into get to at least number three. I probably wouldn't go to number two. Um, I'd probably push it for five. Again, I wouldn't want to give up that first-round pick. And I think – I can't say for sure, but I think John Elway is having a similar mindset. We've seen before that he's been very hesitant to pull the trigger when he doesn't see the value of the trade-up. I mean, a few years back, he wanted one of the linebackers between C.J. Mosley and Ryan Shazier, and the price was too high. He's had a couple of other opportunities to trade up for but the price was too high. So he's very stingy about his costs to move up and the value of picks he's given up. Eric, I got a question for you. I'm curious about your take. Let's say Locke is there at number 10 overall, and I want you to answer this as who, what you think the Broncos should do, not as who you like as a prospect more. If Locke is there at 10, do you take him, or do you roll the dice with Case Keenum and grab a quarterback in 2020 or 2021? You take Drew Locke. Simply is Case Keenum, he's not the future of that of this franchise everybody knows that john elway knows that he even referred to him as a short-term guy basically and when it comes to waiting on a future class it comes down to is that class really going to be as sweet as it looks now right so you don't you don't want to wait you don't want to keep pushing off uh, the prime position of quarterback because of what may be there next year you here you are you have drew lock and it's like a fan a family guy meme that's going around is you have drew lock a potential franchise quarterback that you can take and you know it's there or you can sit there and wait and hope for a franchise quarterback next year that may not be there because this Mm -hmm. quarterback class may not be as sweet as it's projected to be now that's a trope 
or a topic that Zach and I, we've been trying to bring our listeners and readers on the website around to is they look, you know, everyone talks about this class being, you know, historically lackluster at quarterback, but everyone's trying to vault and put 2020 on a pedestal, but things can change. I mean, qu- quarterbacks can go into the senior season or whatever season and regress. I mean, we've seen it happen in the last 10 years in the NFL where guys have really high stock and then they take a step back and it hurts them in the draft and so things can change and the the one big mitigating factor here Eric that I think really is pointing towards the Broncos having to use this opportunity to get their quarterback is the fact that it's probably not going to come around again being in the top 10 so you're within striking distance two years in a row first year you kick the can down the road in what was considered to be like the historical uh, quarterback class of the last 10 years now here you are again at pick 10. Do you really want to look a gift horse in the mouth and kick it down one more year for 2020 when you might not ever get another opportunity during John Elway's this this you know remaining three-year window he has on his contract to get that guy? Because let's face it, I'm one of these guys that rolls his eyes when I hear fans say fire Elway, fire Elway, and so quickly they forget what he accomplished for this team as a front office guy. But at the same time, so he has a legacy, and we can't we can't lose sight of that. But in order for him to really strengthen that and bolster that and kind of get off the hot seat a little bit, he's got to find that next quarterback who can carry this franchise on into its next era of football. And so I think connecting the dots, looking, you know, reading the stars, whatever you want to say, all the events seem to be conspiring on this is the year Elway makes his move for that guy. It really is. I mean, going back to last year, I can get why they passed on Josh Rosen and Josh Allen. Josh Allen had all of those concerns about his play on the field, not the most accurate passer. Strong, big arm guy, which is prototypical Elway quarterback. But there was just so many mechanical issues there, technique, fundamentals, all these other issues. Josh Rosen, not the meanest guy, but he's not very well liked because of his personality. Mm -hmm. He can be very off-putting, and he turned Denver off on him. So I can get it. They had their two quarterbacks that they wanted, Sam Donald and Baker Mayfield. They sat at five. They did try to move up. They were trying to get to number three. That just wasn't happening. They did call the Browns about moving up to number one. Browns obviously had no interest in it. Giants had no interest in moving down from two. And with the Colts, they were talking with the Colts, but the Jets came just came in and the Colts took that offer. Mm. So they decided to sit and wait. They thought that things were going to play out a little bit differently than they did. And they thought they would be able to get Sam Donald or Baker Mayfield. They had their plan C and D with Bradley Chubb and a trade down. And they ended up getting Bradley Chubb, which getting that second, that Robin pass rusher to Von Miller's Batman Mm -hmm. is really crucial in today's NFL. You've got to be able to get after the quarterback. So I can't fault them too much for it for last year. But this year, it's, as you said, John always is coming towards the end of his current contract. He's only got a few years left. And if he kicks the can down the road again, those people calling for him to be fired, it's just going to intensify because you've got to solidify this quarterback position and he knows it and everybody in Denver knows it. You have a new coaching staff, let them go get a quarter, let go get a quarterback for them. Let them work with that quarterback. And that seems to be the plan. All right. Well, we're going to keep Eric on for a little bit longer with us. And in fact, we are going to ask him to answer some of your questions from a Twitter version of the mile high mailbag. But first, We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, guys. So we are taking a peek inside 
the Mile High Mailbag because Zach and I are your football priests and Eric is too, let's face it. And all three of us are here to offer you the absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And there are some questions on the minds of Broncos country right now. And Eric, it being draft season, what better time than to utilize this opportunity of you being on the podcast again this week to answer these questions. And this first one here, you know, you answer these questions and and Zach and I will wait in as well. But this comes from Mike Middleton on Twitter. His question is, how differently do defensive line play in a Fangio scheme versus a Phillips slash Joe Woods scheme? And which draft prospects do you like, Eric, as potential defensive ends and nose tackles for that system? So kind of a two-part question. Now, the for, for the first part about how they the difference between the defensive line is in Joe's in Vance Joseph's and Joe Woods' scheme, there was a little bit more two gapping there, meaning they're not attacking right off the bat. They're kind of sitting back and against the run primarily as they're reading the running back and then attacking. Hmm. Vance Joseph was a little bit more one gap. You just after the snap, you just attack your gap and somebody else is going to pick up the other gap. And that's very similar to what Vic Fangio runs is that was a difference between Woods and Wade and uh, Phillips, mm-hmm. but Fangio, he kind of goes back to that one gap attack scheme. He does throw a little bit of two gapping in there, but primarily he just wants his guys, his defensive linemen to pick that gap and go, which puts more pressure on linebackers, which is why linebacker is so vital for the success of Fangio's scheme. And as for prospects that I like for potential defensive end nose tackle in the system, is there's a couple guys that I think are, that aren't quite getting the attention that they should. And that's PJ Johnson from Arizona big guy i think he's like 330 pounds very athletic very quick and can one gap really well he's constantly shooting the gap and then there's Rennell Bren, who's probably more of that very similar to malik jackson very raw coming out very good upside athletically you just got to get that technique and stuff down dalen mack from texas a&m kingsley kiki also from texas a&m those are all guys that will probably be there in that third fourth maybe even fifth round that i'd be looking at because this is such a deep defensive line class and Honestly, there's so many more that in this class. It's so strong for five techs, nose tackles that you can be finding solid guys who can be starters in the fifth, sixth, and even seventh round. I think, uh, Chad, one guy that we mentioned a lot that should thrive under Vic Fangio is Shelby Harris when he comes back next year. So I'm interested to see what he can do uh, with those defensive linemen. Yeah, and that that's a good question too, Eric, is, you know, in his first year with the Broncos in 2017, Shelby Harris – it seems like to me in my mind's eye was used a little bit more, you know, in a versatile way along the D line. It seems like he played more outside at the five tech than he did inside. Whereas in 2018, he was basically Domata Pecos backup at nose tackle. How would you project him with Fangio? Do you think there, cause I would envision him being more of a focal piece. You let Domata Peco hit the bricks. And if you do bring him back, it's as a, you know, kind of a, figurehead type of role on a short-term one-year, two-year deal, and let Shelby Harris take that step forward into the limelight with more playing time because he's just such a playmaker. But where would you see him? Because you've got Wolf probably coming back. You've got Gotsis on the other side for one more year. We'll see what happens with Demarcus Walker. you got some pieces there, but where would you see Shelby Harris fitting under Fangio, sticking at that nose or what? I think he would fit well being moved around the defensive line. I think depending on the down, the distance, and basically is, is it a pass situation or run situation as to where you play him. I think if it's a pass situation like third and long, I think you want him as that no, as a nose tackle because he is so quick that he's going to be able to keep these guards and centers 
who are dropping back and setting, he's going to be able to keep them off balance because of how quick he can be and how fast he is off the first step. But if it's a run play, I think you want to line him up as a, as a five tech, let him work against the offensive tackles a little bit more. That's where his strength matches up better because even last year when he was playing no cycle, there were some issues when it came to his play against the run. Right. So I definitely think he's the kind of piece that you want to be moving around and depending on the down distance and situation. Yeah, he's not quite as hefty, right, as Pecco in terms of anchoring and holding the point of attack if needed, if that's what a play calls for, letting other players swarm. Here's one from uh, BroncoFanatic97 on Twitter. Is Vic Fangio's system geared more towards man, coverage, zone, or both? And finally, if Denver drafts Drew Locke, Will Rich Scangarello incorporate some of the concepts that Locke used at Missouri in the offense? So another two-parter, two totally different subjects, but let's start with, is Vic Fangio's system geared more towards man, zone, or both? His defense, his coverage scheme is definitely more zone. He likes to press, drop back, have those two high safeties. Basically, cover two zone is what his, his main coverage scheme But he does a good job of mixing it up depending on who he's playing against. There was a couple of games last year where he felt or seemingly felt that man coverage may have been a little bit more beneficial for the defense based on their opponent. So he would go to more of a man coverage scheme, but that cover two zone is the basis of his coverage scheme. Right. And is that the, to me, the next question on that would be, do the Broncos have personnel that are going to fit that? I think Isaac Yadam and Chris Harris both fit it very well. And I don't know much about the futures corners that they signed on the futures deals, but Bradley Roby, he's not the best fit for it. And anyways, I think that with other issues behind the scenes that I've heard about, I don't think that they are looking at bringing him back. Same with Tremaine Brock. I think that they're going to be looking at Harris, Yadam, and exploring the draft and free agent market for another corner. And this question about Drew Locke, Scangarello, incorporating some of the concepts that Locke is familiar with and used in Missouri, I mean, to, to me, that seems like a no-brainer. But what do you think? It's, it is a no-brainer. John Elway has mentioned that he wants to bring some RPOs to the offense, and Drew Locke has ran some of that. And the offense that is expected to be coming with Scandrello is very quarterback-friendly. So it's going to help out Drew Locke being in that system. And then adding RPOs and other things that he's comfortable with from Missouri is just going to be even more beneficial. And Scandrello does such a good job of adjusting to his players, and that's something that he picked up in San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan. And being the quarterback coach there, he saw firsthand about how much it mattered to adjust your scheme to the quarterback. So I fully expect him to incorporate some of that stuff from college for Drew Locke. Yeah, to me, it's like you have to fit the play, you know, the system to the player, not the player to the system. So I, I hope he does that with Locke if he gets his hands on him. Here's one from Roger at Bronco Guy 781. It's very likely Jacksonville lands Foles and doesn't go quarterback in the first round. If that happens, do the Broncos even really need to trade up for Locke? Having some day two picks this year would really help us out. Now, this is one that I actually answered basically a little bit earlier. If Jacksonville lands Nick Foles, I really don't see the need for Denver trading up unless they get get some word that somebody behind them might be looking to move up. I think that if as long as they get Nick Foles, then they're pretty safe to say it too. But I definitely keep my ear to the ground and trying to listen to what and get some idea of what other teams are planning, just in case. Right. A couple more, and then we're going to cut out of here for the day. Here's one from Tim Wentz. If Denver resists the temptation to draft one of these QBs early, 
Eric, where do you see them going? The inside, def- you know, interior defensive line class is deep. The cornerback class is top heavy, and linebacker is basically Devin White. Then the field. Do you see Denver going DL, OL, CB, linebacker, possibly even my son T.J. Hawkinson? What would the, what would the Broncos do? Let's say they lose out on the court on their top two quarterbacks. What would you see him doing there? If Devin White is there, I definitely think that he'll be the guy. This defensive line class is so strong, as I mentioned before, is that they can get good quality guys down the road. This cornerback class is a lot stronger than a lot of people realize. There is a lot of good talent there in those later rounds, mid-late rounds. It's pretty deep, and but linebacker is definitely Devin White and then the rest. I mean, I like, I like a group of guys from that second to fifth round, but... Devin White is definitely the cream of the crop. He's a guy who would come in and immediately fill a huge role and a huge need in this Broncos defense under Fangio. He can be that cover guy. He has the range. He has the smarts. He has everything that you need from a linebacker in Fangio's defense. So I think that if they don't, if they miss out on Drew Locke, it's definitely going to be Devin White. How would you feel, Zach, if the Broncos ended up passing on or not being able to get a quarterback, but Devin White ends up being the pick? I'm fine with that. A, a productive, athletic, three-down, you know, linebacker for Vic Fangio. I mean, what he's done in the past at every stop along the NFL. Uh, with adding to that, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb. Yeah, I'm all for that. Eric, I want to ask you though: Would there be any non-quarterback that you would trade up for in this draft? Any defensive prospect that you think the Broncos should move up from ten for? The only two prospects that I would be willing to move up for that aren't a quarterback is Nick Bosa, which. Denver doesn't really need yet another pass rusher and Quinnen Williams. Quinnen Williams is so good, such a great interior pressure guy and so sound against the run that you'd be able to plug him in at nose tackle or five tech. And you have a long-term starter and especially getting him to work with Bill Kohler and getting his technique and the fundamentals down of the position. I think that he would just be a great pick. He's one of the guys that I think is one of the safer bets in this class as well. I think he's going to be a stud in the NFL for a long time. And I would definitely love to see him on this Denver front with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb rushing off the edge. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a scary defense. Now, here's one that kind of broaches a topic that Eric was breaking my uh, cojones on in a private message on Facebook based on a previous pod. As it relates to our friend Will Greer, who completely botched the the senior bowl and really hurt his, his draft stock. We'll see how whether or not he's able to bounce back at the Combine. And, you know, I'm sure he'll look like a million dollars at his pro day, but we'll see what he does at the Combine. This question, Eric, comes from Mexican Bronco. I love tacos, in parentheses, at JC Pro 16. Would Denver consider taking a wide receiver if a guy like Metcalf or Hollywood Brown fall to the second round? Also, which AAF or XFL team is going to sign Will the Goat Greer next year? <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't roll out a wide receiver in the second round. I know they have invested a second last year and a fourth last year in Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton, but I definitely can see Denver going that way again. I don't think so much with DK Metcalf, but if Hollywood Brown is there, he's a guy who is that brings that great deep threat. And if they get Drew Locke and pairing him with Hollywood Brown's deep playability, that's definitely like a match made in heaven, basically. As for which team is going to sign <laughs> Will the Goat Greer next year yeah. and the AAF or XFL, I I really don't know. I'm sure someone will, but I couldn't tell you what the team names are in the AA, AAF or the XFL, so I haven't been paying too much attention. By the way, I watched some AAF football over the weekend, and I enjoyed myself. You could tell they've only been practicing together for a month. You know, they're still 
pretty raw out there, and plays aren't exactly firing on all cylinders, but a lot of familiar faces. The Salt Lake, uh, I think the Salt Lake Stallions have several former Broncos on the team. You know, a lot of guys that hail from Utah, and we know that John Elway likes targeting uh, especially big fellas on the D and O line uh, that have played at altitude, and Utah has been one of those, you know, grooming grounds for the Broncos since Elway's been there. But it's not just restricted to, obviously, the, the trenches. you got guys like Tim Patrick. you got Devontae Booker. So it was kind of interesting to see some of those faces. Did either of you guys get a chance to watch any of that? I did. I watched uh, Garrett Gilbert. There's a name. Anyone remember him? A 2014 uh, pick of the Rams, I believe, quarterback. He lit it up for the Atlanta, I think they're called the Legends. Mm-hmm. I think that's their name. But it was interesting. I, I do like the AF's um, the replay system. I think they're killing the NFL in that department. And the NFL needs to get on board with something more uh, advanced. But that, the only thing I noticed is that there's the simple rules of the game, they're kind of vague. They don't make it too um, for the casual football fan. So that's something that has to be worked on. But as a developmental league, seeing some of these guys blossom back and, and seeing some guys play football, uh, is definitely interesting. Only thing that I really caught was I saw a video on Twitter of them on a challenge play or a review and being able to hear what the person in the booth, the lady was mm. and how she was going through it and watching her process as she changed it from an incomplete pass to a touchdown catch. Right. Was just the transparency there is right. just something that I definitely think you need in the NFL. Yeah. I definitely think that you need to be that have that transparency so we can hear what they're thinking is why they're making the judgment they are, because let's face it, there's been quite a few calls that they've made where it's been challenged that they come back and you're still not sure what it is they're seeing or how they come to that conclusion. Right. So I definitely think that's one thing the NFL should look, and that's about the only thing I've seen of the AAF so far. The other thing that's on that similar vein is you get little sound clips of the coaches talking in their headsets to the quarterback, which I thought was cool. The game I watched in particular on Saturday night was the San Diego versus San Antonio game in which Mike Martz, you know, the the brainchild behind the greatest show on turf in St. Louis – is the head coach, and so he's, you know, calling in plays to the quarterback. There was one p- point in the game, and I think it was in the second half, where he verbalizes that he's thinking about pulling the quarterback. And, you know, you're never going to see that in the NFL, which is fine. I'm not saying that we need to see that, but it's kind of refreshing in a game that maybe has a little bit less stakes just to kind of see the thought process that are going on with, with these coaches. Now, last thing, and then I'm going to cut you loose, Eric, is I'm going to give you your chance to pillory me on what I said about Will Greer. Now, to qualify, essence, the essence of what I was saying last week about Will Greer, and I think, Zach, I think you echoed me on this, so you can pillory us both, is that we're n- neither one of us are saying, you know, you, I think you've said, you're on record, Eric is saying he's undraftable, um, and you can confirm that or not here when I serve this over to you, but... What I've said is that, you know, if the Broncos miss out on a quarterback early and you're sitting at uh, late day two, day th- early day three, Will Greer, to me, has some interesting upside in terms of his cojones and wanting to push the ball down the field, which I like, which I'd be interested in seeing, you know, pairing him with some NFL coaches and see if you can develop him into something, but certainly not in any sense, you know, going out there and and putting him in the top five or anything like that. I did say that he's undraftable. I'm also on record of saying that he's not in my top 10 quarterbacks. And I think I'm also on the record of saying he's not even in my top 20. (laughs) Now, my biggest thing is when it comes to him being draftable is, and I think Benjamin Albright's tweeted this out as well, the similar thinking, Mm -hmm. is you don't draft a quarterback to be a backup. 
You're drafting a guy who you believe you can develop to be a starter. I don't see that starter potential in Will Greer. I see at best a mid to high tier backup. And that's just not a guy that, as I was saying, is you don't take, you don't draft a quarterback with that in mind of it. Hmm. He takes way too many risks. His footwork is probably the, some of the worst I've seen in any of the quarterbacks this year. He does have some big cojones to push the ball downfield, but a lot of times it's unnecessary risk. There's a guy open downfield and he's just deciding to chuck it up there. And we also saw it on this at the senior bowl of him. He's under pressure. He doesn't set his feet. He just throws it up. And fortunately his receiver made a play but in the NFL, a play like that's not going to fly. It's going to be intercepted. So there's definitely he takes takes far too much risk, uncalculated risk, for me to be comfortable with taking him, as well as the whole. I just don't see a, any starter potential in him whatsoever. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I don't. I don't see the Broncos going after him. I'm with Eric. I don't see an NFL franchise quarterback. I don't even see a borderline starter. Um, I just in this quarterback class, he doesn't stand out. And to me, in such a weak class or it's perceived as a weak class, you have to shine. And he he's hurt himself or hurt himself or hurt himself. I don't think he'll test all that well. I'm I'm definitely with Eric and think he'll be a backup at best in the NFL. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Eric, thanks for joining us, my friend. Hope you have a great week. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope you guys have a great week as well. Check thanks, out Eric. his uh, article identifying Denver's. Uh, biggest threats to, to drafting a quarterback ahead of him. Really good analysis. Also, a few nuggets of information from sources he's picked up around the league. Also, he's got a series running on Finding Broncos where he's covering under the radar. He goes by position, covers under the radar prospects to keep an eye on. I think his next one, Eric, you submitted that hasn't gone up yet was on offensive tackles, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I believe so. So look for that coming here within the next day or two on the website. Definitely going to want to check that out. This is how you, just like Zach and I, this is how you can learn about the NFL draft class. You can leverage the work that Eric puts in scouting the class, watching this hours and hours and hours of film, and learn about the class. It's a, it's a great way to do it and see where these prospects might be able to fit as it relates to your Denver Broncos. That's why the series is titled Finding Broncos. But find Eric on Twitter, at Eric Trickle. Follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find Zach on Twitter, at Kelberman247. Myself, at Chad and Jensen. We will be back tomorrow to break down a very interesting article that was published over the weekend, on Sunday, in fact, by Woody Page on Vic Fangio and how Vic Fangio actually influenced what took place on Super Bowl Sunday. So stay tuned for that. For Zach Kelberman, for Eric, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.